It's got a soul, this here old farm It falls asleep inside my arms We walk the fields under the stars But love is here, Goldshaw Farms Welcome to Goldshaw Farm. I'm your host, Morgan Gold. On each episode of our podcast, we bring you stories of people who are homesteading, farming, and chasing their dreams. And right now, I got to admit, I am exhausted from chasing my dreams. Whew. It has been one heck of a week here on our farm. Uh, for those of you who aren't exactly familiar, we have a 160-ish acre farm uh, in northern Vermont, uh, Peachum, Vermont to be exact. Uh, we have been trying to get things going on our farm for about three years now. It's only been about a year that I actually moved up to the farm full-time, leaving a job in Washington, D.C. To, to come up to the farm. And we've been making progress. You know, we have a 600-tree, uh, give or take a, a few dead ones here and there, uh, orchard in our um, pasture. Uh, so we've been re- reclaiming some of the old pasture and actually turning it into essentially silvopasture. We have been raising ducks for about a year, year and a half or so right now, uh, mostly for eggs, but we also harvest some of those ducks for meat. And this year, I was really excited to start a new business venture on the farm, and that business venture was to start raising geese for meat. But before I can talk about the geese, let me start with talking a little bit about ducks, because I think you need this for a basis of comparison. My experience with raising the ducks has been great. I've really enjoyed them as an animal. They are quite possibly the funniest animal uh, on the barnyard by far. Um, They have such personalities. They have the funny walk. They have the funny noises. They're they're, they're just great. And and last year, I had so much fun raising. uh, We started with about 41 ducks. And the idea was I was going to raise all 41 ducks. They, they came to us on the farm unsexed, meaning I didn't know who the males were and I didn't know who the females were. And at the end of the growing season, so in kind of the fall period, my plan was to harvest those ducks, at least the male ducks, and I would keep the female ducks on for laying eggs uh, as sort of a first business on the farm. Um. And, and overall, it went well. I had a little bit of mortality around week 14 where I lost a handful of ducks to some sort of mystery illness. But beyond that, I, I raised up a, a significant number of ducks and had about 14 uh, males that I needed to harvest uh, back in October of 2018. And so I realized since it's a small scale and we were really going to just sell a couple to our friends and neighbors and keep the rest of them for ourselves... Um, I should do some backyard harvesting and processing. And so I invited a couple of friends over and we decided to, you know, basically set up a couple of stations, you know, the, the basic butchering stations that you have for ducks, you know, you, you know, start with by, uh, putting them in a cone and, uh, slitting their throats and bleeding them out. I know, sorry, it's graphic. I'm just trying to state the facts here and let you guys know what's going on. So I, 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 appreciate this i probably should have thrown a warning at the front of this podcast but yeah so you you start really the process of butchering a duck by killing the duck once the bird has been uh, killed and bled out you want to then go and try to remove the feathers 
In order to remove the feathers, typically what you do is you'll start by scalding them in hot water, something in the range of 160, 170 degrees. Dip them in there for a minute or so and then pull them out. That uh, hot water opens up their pores and loosens up the feathers and makes it easier to pluck out. Um, and you typically will take a, a device that looks sort of like a washing machine with like rubber fingers and it spins the bird around and you throw them in there and it's what's known as a chicken plucker and bird spins around there for a few seconds and then comes out completely plucked or well, that's, that's what happens with chickens. A chicken will, you know, you scald it really quickly, you throw it in the plucker and it'll come out naked looking like a, one of those rubber chickens that you get at a at like a joke shop or a novelty shop with ducks though it's a little bit more complicated because they're waterfowl they have these oils in their skin that effectively make them waterproof and that waterproofing makes it a lot harder to pluck them because the scalding process is a lot less effective and so once you run them through the plucker, they, you know, end up still having a few feathers in there. And you can try to go in there and move them by hand. You can try to go in there with pliers and pull them out. You can try to use a blowtorch to get them out. But all in all, it's, it's kind of crummy because you got these, like, little tiny feathers sticking out. There are some people who will uh, actually get, like, hot wax and they will pour it on the bird and then pull that hot wax off and almost like they're giving a, a bikini wax to the bird that will actually remove the feathers and it's, it's very effective and so that's one method but my first year out I just said you know what look these are at the homestead level these are going to be simple they're not going to be the prettiest birds in the world they're still going to taste good let's just you know do it simple and so that's how I did it and it worked well fast forward to 2019 I got this big idea to start raising geese. So the thing I liked about the ducks was I like working with waterfowl. I like their personalities. But one of the biggest things I didn't like about ducks is I had to truck in a lot of grain um, or, or feed. Um, you know, ducks are omnivores and they will typically cruise through the pasture looking for insects. They will pick and choose certain weeds and plants that they like to eat. But for the most part, they're still relying on you, the farmer, to provide a significant portion of their diet. And so you need to be there and ready to offer that up to them. And so I didn't like this idea of having to essentially buy corn and soybeans and wheat and other grains that are probably grown in the Midwest somewhere, have them trucked out here to the, the feed company that I buy from, drive over to the feed company, buy bags of feed, and have that ultimately be what I'm using to create food on our farm. We have so much land, and although I don't have the equipment or the time necessary to try to grow my own feed, uh, I felt like I was missing an opportunity. Now, the biggest difference between ducks and geese is, other than the size and some of the personality things, is that geese are grazers. Geese primarily get their diet from the pasture. They are mostly eating weeds and grass. Um, that is what they sustain themselves on. That's what they prefer. And so my grand scheme this year was to try to mob graze geese, much like people mob graze grass-fed beef or much like people mob graze grass-fed sheep, out on the open pasture that we have on our farm and significantly cut my food inputs. So 
back in May, I, I, I can distinctly remember the day of, of showing up at the post office and a box of little baby goslings arrived. I take them home. I put them in a brooder for a couple of weeks. And for those first couple of weeks that they're in the brooder, I'm, you know, mostly providing them feed, but I'm also going out there and cutting grasses and pulling dandelions and and that sort of thing. And they like the green stuff probably more than they like the feed. And as they get to be about three weeks old, I started to move them outside and um, they were out on pasture and they were really enjoying that grass. And it really seemed like the whole system was working. And, and probably by week four or five, I would say about 80, 90% of their diet was coming from the pasture. And, and definitely by like week five and six, they were like full on 90 plus percent eating from the pasture. Um, I would, at, at the end of each day, I would actually take a little bit of grain and feed them just to try to get them into their houses and make it easier as part of my training process. But for the most part, during the day, I didn't feed them anything. I would just let them out and they would mow down and they would eat and I would uh, keep them in these little paddocks for about a week at a time and then each weekend I would move the paddock to a new spot and these 31 geese that I were raising were growing and thriving. I I didn't lose a single one and, and so I was really excited because this goose enterprise was working well. And now the, the one sort of gray cloud in the background that I had to contend with was I was trying to find a processor. Like I said, last year when we did the ducks, I, I was harvesting them on um, the farm. I was doing it myself. I had a couple of friends helping me out, but it was like a, a home-scale operation. Because the, the geese were bigger and because there was 31 of them and because, frankly, I wanted to try to find other ways to sell them, uh, I felt like I needed to get uh, an official processor. <laughs> And now this is the part of the story where I'm going to detour into uh, food processing laws for a minute. I know this might be dry and boring, but bear with me because it's an important part of the story. Um, So here in the United States, we have some pretty strict regulations about meat and butchering and what can be done where and and how you can sell that product. Uh, I think it probably dates back to some of the awful practices in the late 19th and early 20th century, kind of the Upton Sinclair days of the world, uh, where people were often, um, you know, not exhibiting good butchering practices. And that's how ultimately America got pretty stringent with our meat processing. And there's a couple types of inspection. So um, the inspection is an important part of the meat processing in the United States because they have an inspector, whether that inspector is provided by the state that you're in or it's a USDA certified inspector, which means that you can actually sell your meat across state lines. If it's not USDA inspected, you actually can't sell it across state lines. If it's not USDA inspected, oftentimes you can't sell it to restaurants and sell it retail and stores either. If it's state inspected, you can sell it in stores in your home state. At least that's how it is in, in Vermont. Um, so that's an option. Uh, it's a little bit cheaper. It's a little bit easier to find a state inspected facility versus a USDA inspected facility. Um, but you know, because we are in a remote portion of northern Vermont, but at the same time we're relatively close to places like Boston, I wanted to actually find a USDA inspected processor so I could sell it uh, across state lines. I could potentially sell it online. I could potentially sell it. I had like a there was actually a, a butcher in the Boston area, a really high-end butcher who was very excited to sell our geese and ducks. And his only requirement was that they were USDA inspected. 
So it was a, an important element for me to find a USD-inspected facility, and I spent months trying to find one. Unfortunately, in New England, at least, I could not find a single place to do that inspection process, the USDA inspection process. I found plenty of USDA-inspected poultry processors, but not a single one that was willing to do waterfowl. And now why, might you ask, wouldn't they be willing to do waterfowl? Well, well, remember earlier when I was saying that it was harder to pluck the ducks because of the oils in their skin and they didn't come out as clean when I was doing it at home? Well, for those state processors and for those USDA processors, they have the same exact problem. So they don't have any interest in processing waterfowl because it's a lot harder to process waterfowl. And in our area, uh, there's plenty of demand for people to process turkeys and chickens that they just have no interest in, in our business and in, in offering up butchering of waterfowl. So despite my best effort and despite months of networking and phone calls and emails and reaching out to people in, in an effort to try to find a processor, I was unsuccessful. And so what I had to opt to do was go to a plan B. Now, this part also varies, and I'm going to continue to be in this realm of meat processing laws, and you'll see how important this is for a farmer. <laughs> um, in our state of Vermont, uh, you do have the ability, if you're a farmer and you've raised the birds, to butcher those birds on farm and then sell them either on farm or at farmer's markets. Uh, you can't sell them retail. Uh, I think you can sell them to restaurants, but only in the state that you've processed them. And, uh, yeah, you, you, you have to like, like, it's really about in-person sales. And I think you're limited to a thousand birds a year. Well, I'm definitely under that thousand bird threshold. And, uh, I looked around and I decided to find what was known as a mobile butcher. Mobile butchers are those people who, uh, show up on your farm. They got a truck, they got all the equipment that you need, the scalder, the plucker, the killing cones, everything. And, you know, they will help you process all of your birds. I looked around, I asked for some recommendations, ultimately found a guy not too far from us who was willing to come out and, and process our geese. He showed up on the farm, um, and unfortunately, I had been planning on them to show up in the morning. They didn't show up until, like, I don't know, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, but we went in and we decided to process the geese on farm. Uh, I knew that this was going to limit uh, some of my sales opportunities, but I'd also been having some success pre-selling our birds to friends and neighbors in the community, and so there was definitely some avenues for the sale, so I wasn't too worried about it. I set out a price that felt relatively reasonable. It was, uh, I think, $5 a pound based on my expenses and based on what I was going to need to get per bird. That felt about right. Um, you know, when you're setting the price of an animal, right, there's no perfect science to it. You just kind of do your best guess and go from there. Well, the processor showed up, like I said, in the afternoon versus the morning. I'm a little bummed by that because I had actually lined up a friend to come and help me bag up the birds and do all the detail work that I had to do on my end. But, uh, you know, since they were coming so late, he wasn't actually going to be able to help out. Uh, but the processor showed up, nice guy, he had an assistant, she was also a nice lady, and they got to work. They were professionals, man. They, they knew what they were doing, they worked quick, but even still with the, the 26 birds that we ended up processing, 
um, we ended up uh, taking about four hours. And so it wasn't until about seven o'clock at night that we were done. <sighs> and I pause right now because this is probably the most disappointing part of the story. So I watched with bated breath as the butcher pulled the first goose out of the plucker that he had to see how clean it was. And I quickly inspected that bird. And I have to admit, my heart sunk when I saw the situation because our geese were not coming out clean. They were still having pin feathers in them. And it was kind of a bummer. You know, as they went through and ultimately processed the the 26 birds, um, you know, none of them were perfect. None of them were of the quality that I could sell it in a store. And I knew that even for some of the people I had pre-sold my birds to, I might even have to walk them back. And so that was definitely a big bummer for me, was, was not actually having the, the birds come out perfectly clean. Um, <laughs> it just goes to show you that even if you have those best laid plans, you're still going to have situations that you know can, can, can disappoint you and you're going to come up short. And so ultimately, as we got through the processing of all those birds, uh, you know, they weren't perfect. They weren't store ready. And the other downside of, of the processing evening was, you know, it was about 7 o'clock when, when they finally finished all their work. And it was starting to get pretty dark. And there was rain in the forecast, so I was rushing to get everybody bagged. And then eventually, it started to downpour, and I only got about half the birds bagged, um, and, and had to like bring them all inside, stash them in the refrigerator overnight, and then uh, try again the next day. And, and so it was just like one of those nights where, you know, I was ending things, you know, really demoralized, to be honest. You know, it had been a tough day all around. First off, um, look, I had been raising those birds since they were little fluffy balls of cuteness when I got them from the post office. And I put so much energy into making sure that they had great lives and that their lives would lead to ultimately great food. And here I was on the night of their death and, and having to say goodbye to them, which, you know, I will admit was sort of personally tough for me in general. Um, but, but on top of that, to then have the result be subpar, man, that's, that's just one of those tough things. It's, 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 it was hard to contend with. Um, you know, so... <laughs> That was the one bummer. I think the other bummer was as I started to look at my business plan, things were blowing up because I knew I'd probably ultimately start having to discount the birds a little bit. And I also knew that um, I was going to have a harder time selling as many birds as I thought I was going to. And so uh, that also made it challenging for my business plan. And, and so it was frustrating, you know, because, look – you spend so much time dreaming of things and so much time putting in daily chores and working to grow something that when that harvest doesn't go the way you want, it's, it's, a, it's a hard knock. But as I'm sitting here talking to you guys with a, with a couple of days of distance, and, and I will admit, <laughs> I was probably going to try to tell this story on last week's podcast, but I was in such a rough like mental space, I, I didn't even think I could have handled it. <laughs> But, you know, it's been you know almost a week since all this went down now, and I'm feeling much better about the situation. I feel like I have a little bit more perspective. You know, I once heard somebody say that you should, you should often focus on telling stories about scars and not wounds. 
And I'm, I'm happy to report that uh, this story here is very much about a scar, not a wound. And I, I know there's some of you out there wondering, well, are you going to continue to raise geese? Like, what are you going to do next about all of this? And, well, good people, let me tell you what I'm going to do next. So my plan is absolutely to continue raising geese. I, I really enjoyed working with those birds. I also truly believe that geese, as a, as a form of livestock on a farm and a form of uh, pasture poultry that you're raising for meat, could arguably be the most sustainable type of bird. And so my dream is to one day really scale up the goose operation. And to start that off, I actually held back five geese from the, the flock that I was raising, uh, five pilgrim geese, three females and two males. And my plan is to try to breed those guys next year. I also plan on buying several more geese or buying several more goslings next year from a hatchery and raising up those up as well. So my plan is to probably go bigger than I even went this year with the geese for next year. Um, and, and I have a belief that this, this is like a true opportunity to really, you know, scale things up. I, I also am starting to look into ways to process waterfowl differently. You know, I love raising ducks on my farm. I love raising geese on my farm. But apparently there seems to be a real niche for figuring out a way to process them well. And so, like, if I can't find a USDA-inspected processor who can do it, I might try to figure out my own dang way to do it. Um, so, so there might be more to come on that front. I'm, I'm researching a lot of methods. I'm looking at different pluckers. I'm looking at different ways of doing this. I'm looking at like how do factories do it? Like when you see a duck in a grocery store, somebody's got to process that and that looks all pre clean and pretty. So like, uh, how are they doing it? And so I'm starting to research that too, because look, you know, if you're chasing a farming life or a homesteading life, uh, oftentimes things aren't going to go as planned. And, and I think there's that expression out there of, well, that's farming. <laughs> and, and, and it's so true. And I'm just appreciative of, frankly, the lesson that I've, I've gotten from this whole experience. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to building on that knowledge and, and doing one step better. Um, so, so while I was very much bummed right after all this went down at this point, I'm kind of excited about the future and, and just sort of ready to go forward because with each misstep I make, it becomes sort of a development opportunity and an opportunity for growth and I'm embracing it. And, and I think for all you guys out there too, who are starting to grow things or, or do things like this. It's, that's a, uh, an important philosophy to try to adapt if you haven't uh, already done so. You know, I was actually talking to somebody online the other day who was bemoaning the fact that, you know, this was their first year of gardening ever. And, you know, they didn't get a single tomato despite having a ton of tomato starts. Well, that's okay. Because next year you're going to be able to get another opportunity to try it again. Um, it's, it's kind of like the, the long suffering sports fan. Well, there's always next year, right? Well, with farming and growing food, that's, that's kind of the case too. And, and even though at, at our farm in Vermont right now, we're starting to get into the hard frosts and, uh, the leaves are really starting to fall from the trees and things are definitely looking like winter is coming. Um, it's also kind of nice to know that there's going to be a spring again next year. And with that spring is going to mean a whole new set of opportunities. And so, 
you know, I'm really curious to hear from you guys. And, and maybe if you want, uh, you can go post it in the Goldshaw Farm podcast uh, Facebook group. But what opportunities are you looking forward to next spring? What lessons did you gather up from uh, your growing year this year? I, I think that the more that we all guys and gals can start talking openly about these failures and what lessons we're learning and sharing them with others, the the better everybody's going to get. I think that's a big part of what all this is about. That's a big part of where all the wisdom should be coming from. And so I encourage you guys to share that. I'm going to keep talking about what I've learned over the course of the last six months and I'll tell you what, there's, there's quite a good deal. And so, yeah, that, that's, that's my story. That's why I didn't post an episode last week. That's what's been going on here on our farm. Um, it's, it's kind of exciting. Uh, if you guys are out there and in the market for uh, geese, uh, hit me up. I've got a ton of them sitting in the freezer ready for sale, bagged and ready for sale. Um, and I will be back very soon with another uh, podcast. And by the way, if you were interested in this story and more curious about the processing process and what that looked like, be sure to check out our, our YouTube channel. Uh, actually, just uh, the other day I posted a, a new video that captured kind of the video side of this whole story I told you guys. Uh, you might watch it and think it's a little bit repetitive because I made some of the same points, but I'm sorry. But it's got uh, the, the visual element that these podcasts always lack. So uh, go look for the Goldshaw Farm YouTube channel and I think it's like the, the video is called Goose Harvest Gone Wrong. It's, uh, it's, it's worth watching. I think it was very educational. I hope you guys can watch it and learn a few things. Um, and, yeah, I'm, I'm really, uh, uh, like I said, looking forward to growing again uh, real soon here. If you have any questions or comments, always feel free to shoot me an email, goldshawfarm at gmail.com, and I will be back next week with a guest, and uh, we'll be telling you more stories of people who are homesteading, farming, and chasing their dreams. But until then, I will ask my good friend, Mr. Keith Pierce, to play our theme song. It's got a soul, this hero farm, it falls asleep inside my arms, we work the feet. Under the stars, the love is here at Goldshaw Farms. A city life yet had its charms, but we would dream of the fields under the stars. I fall asleep inside its arms. The love is here at Goldshaw Farms. The love is here. Here at Gold Shop Farms.